Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. If you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 1015. Our study through 1 Peter has brought us to chapter 2, verse 18. We are in the midst of a section of the book teaching believers that a powerful way that we can be distinct in this world to the glory of God is by submitting to the authorities that are over us. Again, that's a powerful way to be distinct. That's a powerful way to show that God has done something in our lives. Because by nature, fallen mankind disrespects authority. By nature, mankind rebels against authority. But Christians are called to be different. God has made us new creations. He has set us free from that enslaving power of rebellion, from that enslaving desire for autonomy. God says that all authority over us has been placed there by Him. And so when we submit to our human leaders, we know that we're ultimately submitting to God. So last week, God's Word in verses 13 through 17 taught us to submit to our civil authorities. And now in verse 18, the next call for submission is for servants to submit to their masters. However, what we're going to see is Peter's going to quickly uh, expand this teaching out to all Christians, whether you're a, we're a servant or not. And the focus quickly becomes teaching all Christians to endure unjust suffering. So that's really what the sermon is about today, because that's what the passage is about today, unjust suffering. So let's begin by reading the passage together. So I'd ask the congregation to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. I'll read verses 18 through 25 of 1 Peter 2, though this morning we're really only going to get through verse 23. Let's hear God's word together. 1 Peter 2.18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures uh, sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself To him who judges justly, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. One of the hardest things a person goes through in life is unjust suffering. Unjust suffering. 
not suffering the consequences of, of sinful actions, but rather suffering for doing good. <laughs> doing what is right and then suffering because you did what is right. <laughs> Being punished by authority when you didn't do anything wrong. Unjust suffering is one of the hardest things a person goes through. Because you're thinking, what, why is this happening? I did what was right and now I'm suffering for it. it made me think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember with Potiphar's wife, she, she tried to seduce him. She tried to come on to him. But he did the right thing. He resisted and he fled the temptation. He said, how could I do this thing and sin against God? But yet he still suffered. He was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. He's an example of someone who suffered unjustly. And obviously he's an example of how God had his sovereign and good purposes for that. But unjust suffering is one of the hardest things we go through because unjust suffering is very painful. I mean, all suffering is painful, but the pain is heightened with unjust suffering because not only is the suffering itself painful, but also as we're going through that, at the very core of our being, we're crying out, this is not right. This is, this is not fair. And so again, I, I would submit that unjust suffering is one of the hardest things to experience. And yet... Unjust suffering is one of our best opportunities to know Christ and glorify his name. The title of the message this morning is Glorifying God Through Unjust Suffering. We're going to study verses 18 through 23 of 1 Peter 2 here uh, under three headings. And you'll see those in your notes, but I'll expand them as well. The first heading says, Our Calling. If you're taking notes, you could write this next to that. We are called to endure unjust suffering. We are called to endure unjust suffering. Look at verse 18 again with me. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And then verse 19 says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering un unjustly. Again, to be clear, the, the command in verse 18 is for servants to be subject to their masters with all respect. And by the way, that word translated respect is literally the word fear in the original. <laughs> and if you remember from last week, Peter has just told us to fear God in verse 17. Twice in chapter 3, verses 6 and 14, Peter's going to tell believers they don't need to fear anyone or anything else. Just fear God. And so when we fear God, what we're doing is we're, we're longing to obey Him. We're longing to please Him, which includes submitting to those He has placed in authority over us. So we please God by obeying and respecting our authorities. And that's the command here in verse 18. But as I said earlier, what starts off as this specific command to servants to be subject to their masters quickly becomes teaching directed to all Christians, no matter your position, to endure unjust suffering. Right? You see how he, how he broadens it out there in verse 19? 18, servants be subject to your masters. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows. 
Anybody, any Christian, any believer who endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, this is a gracious thing. As Christians, we have been called to suffer unjustly. He's going to say that explicitly down in verse 21. Look with me there in verse 21. For to this, talking about enduring unjust suffering, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You see, Christian, we've been called to endure unjust suffering in order to follow in Jesus' steps. Isn't that what being a Christian is all about? (laughs) Becoming a Christian is becoming a disciple of Christ. A disciple follows his teacher in order to learn from him, in order to become like him, right? The disciples would literally follow the Messiah around. Becoming a Christian means... You and I are signing up to follow Jesus. And what we're thinking about today is that we're signing up to follow Jesus on the path of unjust suffering. Think about Jesus himself. Think of how he experienced unjust suffering. I mean... Right? Remember, we're defining unjust suffering as when you do what is right, when you do what is good, and then you suffer for it. And we know Jesus only ever did what is right and what is good. I mean, Jesus healed the sick. He, think, of, think of his ministry on earth. He, he healed the sick. He showed compassion to the leper and healed him. He, he healed the lame, the mute. He healed the blind. He cast out demons, those who were oppressed. He was setting the captives free as was prophesied about the Messiah. He multiplied bread to feed the hungry. He welcomed little children to come to him. He even raised the dead on a couple of occasions. He proclaimed good news of forgiveness and new life. He brought in the kingdom of God. Jesus' whole life was spent doing good, doing what is right. He always did what was pleasing to the Father. He never sinned. He never wronged anyone. And yet he suffered, and he suffered for doing good. He suffered for doing what is right. As he's doing right, as he's obeying his Father's will, what's he experiencing? Well, he's being misunderstood by his family. He's being rebuked by his family. They think he's crazy. He's being run out of his hometown of Nazareth. He's being opposed and hated by the Jewish leaders who who start plotting against him and, and then falsely accuse him. He was convicted by a kangaroo Jewish court. I mean, you want to talk about injustice, right? When we think of justice, we automatically think of the court system, don't we? Wow, what a a sham of justice his his, uh, Jewish um, trial was. False witnesses couldn't even agree and just, you know. Then he was unjustly handed over to Pilate. And then when Pilate offers to release him, he's unjustly rejected by his own people. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him, John 1 says. And so then he was in another uh, extreme exercise of, of injustice, of malpractice. Pilate washes his hands and hands, hands Jesus over to be crucified. 
And then we know he was mocked and beaten and crucified. So Jesus' life was one of experiencing unjust suffering. Though he always did what was right, he suffered terribly. And again, when we commit to follow Christ, we're signing up to suffer with him. Obviously, his suffering was unique in the sense that he was atoning, he was paying for the sins of his people. But yet, when we become a Christian, we're identifying with him, we're following in his steps. Jesus himself said that. Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we need to be sober-minded about this, lest we, you know, what we don't want to happen is, is someone is zealous for following Christ, but then they start suffering and, and they get all disillusioned and think, wow, I thought Jesus was supposed to make my life so much better. I thought it was just going to be smooth sailing. And then in that disillusionment, they, their, their walk with Christ gets hijacked. No, we need to be sober-minded and, and recognize, as Peter will say later in the letter, uh, don't be surprised when you suffer. Don't be surprised. Like Jesus, we are called to suffer for doing good. Think of the, you know, again, I'm, I'm thinking in my context here, in, West, in Western context, what that might look like. Christians who... Even as young people, maybe you're mocked for cherishing purity. Maybe you're mocked by your peers. Christian, maybe you're harassed by fellow employees because you work hard. <laughs> right? Because you try to be a man, of, a man or a woman of integrity. Put in an honest day's work. And the others are like, well, you knock it off, man. You're making us look bad. You know, what, who do you think you are? Some brown noser? Maybe you're ridiculed for believing the Bible. Maybe you're slandered and misrepresented for following Christ. And we know that's becoming increasingly the case in, in our culture, isn't it? You know, if someone is an evangelical, it's like, it's like they're, they're a crazy person. And they're dangerous, society says. They're, they... You're labeled as someone who hates other people just because you believe the Bible. <laughs> and that is going to bring suffering. Maybe in the workplace you're demoted or withheld promotions that you deserve because you're a Christian. Maybe you're even fired because you won't fudge the numbers on a report. You won't walk over the other person to try to get ahead. These are all things that we can and perhaps already have experienced as we follow Christ now. And certainly we know our brothers and sisters around this world suffer in even greater and more dangerous ways, don't they? For doing what is right, for following Christ, for holding to his commands. So again, my... my desire with this first heading is just that Christian you will not be confused 
that you will not be disillusioned, that when you suffer for doing right, you won't be surprised, you won't think God has abandoned me, something's not working. No, this is, you're, you're doing what is right. You're on the path that God has you on. You're following your Savior. So as a follower of Christ, unjust suffering is our calling. Secondly then, unjust suffering is our blessing. Unjust suffering is our blessing. And, and what I mean by that is this. We glorify God and experience intimate fellowship with Christ. When we endure unjust suffering, we glorify God and experience intimate fellowship with Christ. Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You see, Peter says there's nothing special about suffering for doing wrong. In that case, you're just basically getting what you deserve, right? But twice here, Peter says that enduring unjust suffering is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Man, that's an encouraging phrase, isn't it? A gracious thing in the sight of God. Think about just those words, in the sight of God. What an what a encouraging reminder to us that God sees when we endure unjust suffering. God sees. He knows what His people are going through. And as His people are going through or enduring unjust suffering, God is pleased. God is glorified as we endure unjust suffering because it shows that we belong to Him. Again, this is what makes us distinct. As we endure unjust suffering, God is glorified because the fact that we're enduring unjust suffering is evidence of His grace in our lives. Our enduring unjust suffering, our continuing to do what is right, our not returning evil for evil, our patiently trusting God, all of that is evidence that God's grace is at work in our lives. God's strengthening grace rests upon the righteous sufferer further enabling us to endure suffering to God's glory. That's what those phrases is a gracious thing. That's, that's what I kept coming back to as I studied those. This is evidence of God's grace in your life. You've been set apart. You've been made a new creation. By nature, people wouldn't endure that. By nature, they would get bitter. By nature, they would try to retaliate. By nature, they would throw in the towel and say, it's not worth it. But God has made a difference in your life. You're an object of God's grace, and His grace continues to pour out on you in the form of daily strength, daily courage, daily endurance to keep doing what's right and yet suffering for it. Later in his letter, like I referenced earlier, Peter will say in 1 Peter 4.12, 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But listen to verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is, re- is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, verse 14 says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You have the Holy Spirit. That's why you're suffering for doing what's right. You're a child of God. You're a follower of Christ. And then Peter goes on to say what he's already been saying now in chapter 2, really. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. As we endure unjust suffering, loved ones, God is glorified and we are blessed. Again, as counterintuitive as it may sound, following Christ in suffering is really our blessing. Peter said, you know, talked about sharing in Christ's sufferings. Philippians 3.10, there the Apostle Paul says, that I may know him, Christ, right? That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Isn't that interesting? I preached on that passage um, right at the beginning of the year, right? How Paul was saying the surpassing worth, the most important thing in his life was to know Christ. And here in verse 10, when he says, he links knowing Christ to sharing in his sufferings. Philippians 3.10. Our suffering draws us closer to Christ. Our suffering helps us know Christ better. Our, Our unjust suffering, right? Because suffering helps us understand what Christ went through. We, we understand in some small way what his life was like on earth. We come to know Christ better because we get, again, just a small taste of what he experienced. When we're rejected by our friends or by family or whoever, we remember that Christ was not received in his hometown of Nazareth. When our family thinks we're fanatical for our commitment to Christ, we know what it felt like for Jesus when his family thought he was crazy and was trying to stop him. When we suffer rejection and betrayal, we understand to a degree how Jesus felt when Judas betrayed him. When we are slandered and ridiculed, we get a taste of what Jesus experienced as insults were hurled at him. Suffering is a way of communion with Christ. And as you suffer, you come to know Christ more deeply And you depend upon him more fervently, don't you? And that's how any trials, any suffering are, isn't it? God uses that to refine us, to sanctify us, to to cause us to run to Christ and abide in him all the more fervently. And so suffering is a blessing. That's why when the apostles were beaten for proclaiming Christ... They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, Acts 5.41. They counted it a privilege to suffer for Christ. And again, we, you read that and you think, what, are, are these guys just gluttons for punishment or what is wrong with them? 
No. They, they rejoiced because they knew that their suffering was glorifying Christ and their suffering was drawing them closer to Christ. They, through their suffering for the sake of Christ, they were showing how precious Jesus is. And they were entering into a greater level of intimacy with him. So suffering draws us closer to Christ. And again, you think about that. Think, you look at the apostles, you read about the persecuted church. You read throughout church history of what God's people have gone through. And it should, it should cause us to recognize how precious Christ is. What a, and again, saying this even sounds cliche, but what a difference Christ makes in someone's life. That they're willing and able and even joyful to suffer for his sake. That, you know, we shouldn't look at, at them and, and put them on a pedestal. It should highlight the preciousness of Christ. And that's what the opportunity you have when you're going through unjust suffering. You have an opportunity to highlight the preciousness of Christ. Jesus means everything to me. Jesus is more important to me than than my comfort. Jesus is more important to me than your approval. Jesus is more important to me than anything you can take away from me. Jesus is precious. Though we have not seen him, we love him. Though we do not see him, we believe in him and are filled with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. Isn't that what Peter's already told us? And by the way, if you're here today without Christ, I pray that you would see something in, in the believers here. I pray that you would see something in believers all around the world to, and to understand the preciousness of Christ. This is not just a, a religion thing. This is not just a, a, a hobby or a, or a cause or something like that. He is Lord and Savior. He has paid it all. He has laid down his life for us. And so he is worthy of your devotion. He is worthy of your, um, I'd say committal, your commitment. Let's say that. He's worthy of your lifetime commitment. He's worthy of any, of any pain and suffering that you'll go through. He is worthy because you'll come to know him even in, in deeper ways. So if you're without Christ, I pray the Lord is, would draw you to him even this morning. So, suffering draws us closer to Christ because not only do we understand in, in some way what Jesus went through, but think about this, our suffering evokes in a special way Christ's sympathy and tender care for us. We know Jesus is the good shepherd. We know he is a, a, a faithful and sympathetic high priest. And so during our times of suffering, Jesus draws even closer to us, Hebrews 4.15. And again, he's the perfect, sympathetic high priest. 
Because he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to lose friends. He knows what it's like to be mocked and hated and threatened. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer for doing good. And now at the Father's right hand, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for you. And he's ministering to you as you undergo your suffering. He's drawing close to you through his spirit, through his his body, through his word. He's ministering to you. What a precious Savior and shepherd we have. Suffering on account of Christ reminds us that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Right? We're united to Christ. We're in Christ. We're already seated with Him in the heavenly realms, but right now we're on this path of unjust suffering with Him. But it reminds us that we're fellow heirs with Him, that we have a glorious future inheritance awaiting us. Peter's already um, rejoiced in that with us, hasn't he? Suffering with Christ is our blessing because through our suffering, we will come to know and cherish and long for Christ all the more. He is our ultimate inheritance. He's who we're longing to be with. And so, again, we get foretastes of that now. We get down payments of that now in communion with him. And suffering just gives, us, gives that to us in even greater quantities. So in regard to unjust suffering, we've considered our calling and our blessing. Now, thirdly and finally, we come to our example. Our example, we are to follow Christ's example of enduring, enduring unjust suffering. Right? I mean, it's really straightforward, <laughs> and it, which is, is helpful, right? We are to follow Christ's example of enduring unjust suffering. That's what verse 21 also tells us. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Verse 21 points to Christ as our example to follow of how to respond to unjust suffering. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of what to do when you experience unjust suffering. By the way, you know, just to give us a, a picture to wrap our minds around, that word example there in verse 21 is a word that refers to letters that children would, would trace in order to learn how to write. Right? Kids do that nowadays. They did it back then. That's the word Peter uses there. So you can think about it like as Christians, we are called to trace Jesus' footsteps as we go through unjust suffering. We should respond to unjust suffering the way that Jesus did. Well, how did he respond? That's what verses 22 and 23 um, explain to us. Look at verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Let's start with that last phrase. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. You might have heard that read in our scripture reading. Because Peter's quoting Isaiah 53, 9. Peter's identifying Jesus as the suffering servant. Who was described hundreds of years earlier who would die for the sins of his people. Peter's hearkening back to that because Jesus suffered for the sins of his people, he tells us, doesn't he? 
Even though he himself was sinless, he committed no sin. Verse 22 says, Jesus did not return evil for evil, so he committed no sin even when he was suffering unjustly. He didn't retaliate back. Look at verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. During his trials, when Jesus was mocked and reviled, he didn't revile back. As he hung on the cross and those who passed by wagged their heads and hurled insults at him, Jesus didn't yell insults back. He didn't issue down curses upon them. He endured it. In fact, he prayed for them, didn't he? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He returned good for evil. When he suffered, Peter goes on in verse 23, he did not threaten. Think about that. Jesus didn't threaten the, the Jewish leaders. You know, like, ah, you, better not, you better not touch me. You better step back. He didn't threaten Pilate. He didn't retaliate against the Jewish ruling council. He could have fought back. Remember what he told Peter when Peter tries to defend him there at the garden when he's getting arrested? He's like, put your sword away, Peter. Do you not think that I, I couldn't call upon my father and, 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 ask, and have him send legions of angels down here? I'm, I'm accepting this. I'm, I'm submitting to this. This is why I came. I'm enduring it. Notice what Peter says here. This is so key when we think about the, an example. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See what that's telling us? Jesus, as he was going through this unjust suffering, how was he not able to retaliate? How was he able to endure it? Because he trusted his father. He trusted God. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus knew and trusted that God was good. He knew and trusted that God loved him. Jesus trusted his Father's plan for his life. And Jesus knew that God, his Father, was a sovereign, just judge. And so he entrusted himself to the hands of his loving, wise, and all-powerful Father. Oh, what freedom that is to be able to do that, isn't it? God, I know you are, are good. I know you're wise. I know you're all-powerful. I know you're just. And so, I'm, I'm leaving it in your hands. Jesus did not need to retaliate. He did not need to defend himself because he knew that God had a plan and he knew that God would make it right in the end. Jesus knew that his heavenly father would vindicate him by raising him from the dead. His heavenly father would prove that Jesus was truly the son of God. His heavenly father would, would show that Jesus really was the promised Messiah. Jesus knew that the sins of all these people who were doing this to him would not go unpunished. Again, he's praying for the Father to forgive them. He knew that many, by God's grace, would later believe in him. And so those who would believe in him, their sins don't go unpunished. Their sins are paid for by Jesus himself. 
on the cross. But then also those who never believe, those who died without Christ, their sins won't go unpunished either. They will be held accountable for their sins at the final judgment. So to sum up Jesus' example, no sin, no retaliation, (laughs) trusting God. That's it in a nutshell. No sin, no retaliation, trusting God. That is the perfect God-glorifying example of enduring unjust suffering that Jesus has left for us. When we suffer unjustly, we don't need to retaliate because we trust that God is the just judge. That sin against us will not go unpunished. And so we don't need to try to take matters into our own hands. And that's the same teaching that God gives us in Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, if you want to jot that down. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Another parallel passage to this whole sermon, really, is is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Unjust suffering is unjust. (laughs) Captain Obvious, right? Unjust suffering is unjust. And so it's right, in one sense, for us to recoil at it. It's right for us to recoil at any injustice we see because we're made in the image of God. And God is a just God who hates injustice. But we can rest in the knowledge that God is a perfectly just judge and he will not let wrong go unpunished. As I said earlier, in, in, in regard to Jesus, the sins that were committed against Jesus, the same is true about us. We know that every sin that's committed against us will either be paid for by Jesus on the cross if they come to believe, which is what we would pray they would, right? And that's part of the reason we return good for evil is that they might be convicted and, and converted. But if not, if they never believe, we know that God will hold them accountable in the end. So we can trust God and keep doing right. By God's grace, we can trust God and do good to those who wrong us for the glory of God. And I'll just close with with this. Again, I think there's a lot to meditate on and rejoice in, in that phrase, in the sight of God, that Peter says. In the sight of God. Loved one, be encouraged. God sees your suffering. 
Jesus sees your suffering. He cares when his church is being persecuted. We know that. God does not turn a blind eye to our suffering. He has a loving purpose for it. And sin will not go unpunished. People will be held accountable in the end. But we are called to trust God and by God's grace to patiently endure the suffering. In fact, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5.44. Pray that God would open their eyes to the truth. If your enemy's thirsty, you give him a drink. When, when we suffer unjustly, we're going to be tempted to uh, retaliate. We're going to be tempted to think God's forgotten me and get scared. But none of those things are true. God sees. God cares. And he is helping you through it. And I've, as I've said, that all of this is done by God's grace. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look closely at verses 24 and 25. But I thought it was interesting and helpful that verse 24 says, He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And it reminds us that all this that we're calling, being called to do, this is not pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. This is because of the work of Christ and because of the ongoing grace of Christ that he shows us. We can die to the sin of retaliation. We can die to that temptation of, of being afraid or, or being disillusioned because of what Christ has done in our lives. In Christ, you are a new creation. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And so he's going to be with you through the entirety of your, your pilgrimage on that path of unjust suffering. So, loved ones, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Christ's suffering fully atoned for our sins. Christ's suffering secured our eternal salvation. And just as God vindicated Christ from his suffering by raising him from the dead and exalting him to glory, so too one day we will be delivered once and for all from all suffering and will reign with Christ forever. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are. Again, we stand in awe at your love, at your mercy, at your uh, sovereign grace, your wisdom, your power, your faithfulness, your justice. And Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of you, of how you endured unjust suffering, of how you did it as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit, depending on the word of God, rehearsing the, the promises of God, trusting in your heavenly Father. We praise you for that example you have left us. And we praise you because we know, Lord Jesus, your, your life and death is more than just an example for us. It is what has secured our salvation. It is what guarantees our ultimate and final deliverance. And so I pray that you will help us, Lord. For any here today who are going through unjust suffering right now, or, or even just the suffering of living in this fallen world under the curse of sin, 
Draw them close to you. Help them cling to you. And Lord, prepare us all. Help us be abiding in you so that when when our time comes to experience suffering for the name of Christ, that we may bring glory to you. And we pray for our brothers and sisters now, Lord. We think of Christians all around this world, in Nigeria and in China and in the Middle East, anywhere where they're being persecuted. Lord, may you be glorified through them and may they experience what Paul was talking about, of knowing that sweet fellowship with you. May others see in their lives how precious you are and be drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So if I could have the men come forward, please, who are going to serve us. Of course, anytime we take the Lord's Supper together, we like to remind ourselves of the gospel of the finished work of Christ, and we have it right here in our passage today, don't we? Again, looking at verses 24 and 25, verses that, Lord willing, I hope to preach on next week. But it's like Peter was showing us the example of of Jesus, how he endured unjust suffering, didn't retaliate, trusted his Father, and then it's like he just lingers and reminds us of the work of Christ. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So what a gift the Lord Jesus gives us to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, to just have these tangible reminders of the finished work of Christ. To be reminded of how he bore our sins in his body. He bore them and he paid for them in full. To be reminded of the grace that God has shown us that, yes, we were straying, but God has graciously sought us and brought us to himself in faith. And to be reminded that one day Jesus, our good shepherd, is coming again. And he's going to gather all his sheep. And we'll get to be with him forever. So may you be encouraged and blessed as you take the the Lord's Supper. May it be a time of just personal worship and and if the Lord, uh, whatever work the Lord is doing in your heart, may, may, uh, may you just take the moments as the elements are passed out to, to uh, pray to him. I would, remind, um, I would remind everyone as they take the, the trays, um, and Mandy, correct me if I'm wrong here, but on the in, in, each tray... On the inner part of the tray, it's gluten-free bread, right? But, and so there's some that have that need. If you take that, you'll also need to take another cup so that you can get the juice. But if, you're, if that doesn't apply to you, just take from the outer and you'll just take one and you'll be good to go because it'll have the, the, the bread and the, the juice together there. Right? As, 
as the men prepare to um, pass this out, I'm compelled to remind us that this is only for believers, that uh, it's for those who have, by God's grace, have, have trusted in Christ and have publicly identified with him. So if that isn't you today, please just let the, the tray pass by. Um, but we're glad that all can be here to hear God's word.